Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, Source Mind Asia and Enter China. Uh, just wanted to wish you guys a happy new year, happy holidays. Hope you guys are having a good time with your family, reflecting on your businesses, on life, and, uh, you know, planning out the next year. I hit quite a few of my goals. I'm going to do an episode in probably after Chinese New Year on and goals like we did last year. And I was just checking some of my goals and it's like, yeah, um, it's been a pretty good year for me. But enough about me. Um, this episode, I interviewed Harrison Bevins. He's one of my closest friends in China. Um, I think he's been in China now for just over a year. It's kind of crazy. I feel like he's just, he just got here. But um, yeah, we sat down, talked about what our first years were like in China. And I, th- I feel like it's a kind of a perfect episode to have at the end of the year when everybody's kind of reflecting on what's been going on in their lives. So without further ado, here's episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So I guess I just wanted to do like podcast super casual. Just talk about cool, cool. how long have you been in China, man? Uh, so I came in December last year. So almost, almost a year now. Ten months. It's fucking crazy. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Flown <laughs> by. It's insane. It's like I feel like I feel like you've been here for like six months. You know. Yeah. It's, I think China does that. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of bizarre, especially because like you know. Chinese New Year is like kind of right after I arrived, and that so that month just flew by. And um, were you in China for Chinese New Year? No, so I went to the Philippines with uh, Carl and Gary for two weeks. And you know, the whole whole country is pretty much on lockdown, not doing anything, or they're all traveling or whatever. Yeah, I haven't spent I haven't spent a Chinese New Year in China. It's like I always like I've I've been here like the week before, and yeah. it was just like everything shut down. You know, all the stores were closed. All the mom and pop shops were like yeah. disappeared. Um, overall, first like first impressions. Just if you could give me like a snapshot of your first impression, and then like what do you think of it now? Of China in yeah. general? Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get deeper, but I just wanted to like throw it out there. Uh, I guess. I mean, it's kind of what I expected. First impressions are just like how vastly different it is here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. Just the way that people act, the, the the behavior, like daily interactions, and then you're dealing with the whole the whole uh, language differences. So figuring out, you know, the first two months, just figuring out how to order food correctly and like figure out how to use a subway, just basic like logistical things. Um, first impression, yeah, which is crazy, like being in China, which is kind of blowing yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. to say to compare it to now, um, it's obviously it's a lot more manageable. Like I know how to do stuff, figured out how to how to live. So yeah, it's good. I like it. Yeah, it's like for me the first. I actually recently found like this uh, micro SD card that has like my first year in China essentially, oh, yeah? like in videos. And I was like, whoa, man! It's, it's so yeah, it's so different. Like I remember I have like a video of my first day in China, and I was just like, I was in Guangzhou and I was overwhelmed and then I found the Starbucks and I was like oh it's a base <laughs> let, me get a, Western. Let, me, let me get a strobery lemon iced tea <laughs> at least they know a little bit of English at the Starbucks yeah yeah I was like because I mean everything else was just like I got into the metro no one speaks English yeah 
boom, and it's like fuck, so many people. Yeah. And I got off the metro because I was I was gonna fix my laptop. I got off the metro at this place in Ganding, which is like the computer center, and it's like, you know how here it's like they come in like hey come come to my store come yeah. to my store it's like a bunch of people grabbing at you and yeah. i was like fuck no 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 leave me alone oh, yeah. yeah but and then uh a year later i would say the interesting thing one of the one this guy i met keenan he's mm. a, he's a ec member inter china member and he's like he's i met him on my second day in china and uh, you know we kept in touch and whatever it was kind of like a little bit of a mentor for me like the first couple weeks and first couple months really but uh, when I started teaching English I started to get impatient with you know because I wanted to start a business or whatever right, I started right. to get impatient with just being here mm-hmm. and he just he always used to tell me like no one conquers China in a year yeah, like, yeah. I'm learning that now <laughs> <laughs> so I mean my after my first year it was like oh okay I think I'm just beginning to like settle into this place like, right right yeah so so yeah that being said that time period versus now yeah I, I mean I totally agree with what you just said um I mean there's this feeling of like urgency that you kind of need to you need to do everything so quick and uh that's just not realistic yeah. um I mean the fact that it takes I mean for 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 five six months I didn't even know what what I wanted to do I was just trying to survive yeah so finding teaching jobs um making money online doing like random writing gigs I'm still doing that type of stuff but um yeah it took six months just to figure out like okay I found the path that I want to actually focus on which is e-commerce and like that's starting to tie into you know the FBA stuff or product development but yeah, I don't see how. I mean, if you can if you can get on your feet and start a business in a year with being here just one year, I think that'd be very impressive. Yeah, man, it's there's just so much that you have to learn about the culture and like oh, just settling into life in China. Yeah. Like you said, just surviving. Like for me, that was the same thing. My first six months was just like I didn't I didn't have a job for the first two or three months that I was here. Yeah, and it was like okay, I started looking for a job in my second month. Got a job in my third month. And then from there, it was like, okay, paying back certain debts and like things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, getting settled yep. and now having a little bit of disposable income. Like now you want to do things that you couldn't do in the yep. first yep. three months, whatever. Traveling going, places. And traveling travel. places, going to IFC Tower, like whatever. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and then, then once you do that for a while, then you get bored of that. And then now it's like, okay, fuck, I need to actually push towards mm-hmm. something, you know. Grow, grow your business more. Work hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And interesting, I was talking to Carl about that just before you guys left. Uh, so, by the way, uh, Harrison and, and Carl and Gary moved to Taiwan for a bit. But just before you guys left, Carl was saying that he had this, like, feeling, like a bad feeling where mm-hmm. he, he had this thing, like, oh, maybe it's not the right time to leave. Yeah. And I was saying to him, I was like, I feel like you guys or him or whatever, us in general, just, yeah. like, at a stage right now where, you know, the, some of the stuff that we're doing with EC, the, some of the people that we're meeting yeah. and the friendships that we've established, uh, whether it's not just even business friends, but like even girls, whatever. It's right. just like we're in a very interesting space and I feel like something's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I really don't think this is the right time to leave. <laughs> it was, it, yeah. <laughs> to, to piggyback on that, yeah, um, yeah it wasn't. Um, we... And it's funny. I I had the same gut feeling, yeah. and we we all we all had admit that. Yeah. <laughs> like, me and Carl discussed this like two weeks ago. This is what ultimately made us come back to Long Joe's because we both admit that like 
we knew deep down it probably wasn't a good idea mm. and we kind of were thinking it but it's like we'd all already agreed yeah no we it was stupid we should have talked about it and like maybe not about been so headstrong about the decision but so many big so many big things were already set in place that it was like we couldn't really back out you know like plane tickets were bought we were already trying to get out of our apartment mm. um so yeah it wasn't wasn't the smartest decision but uh learned a lot and made me it gave me perspective which is the most important thing about Guangzhou and China. I was gonna, I was gonna say I think that that I wouldn't say it wasn't a smart decision because I mean ultimately what did you lose like I think you gained way more than you yeah you know I mean I learned how important it is to be actually in China for what we're trying to do mm-hmm. um you can't you can't you can't do that in Taiwan like it even it's an it's a it's an hour 45 minute plane ride away but it's just not the same as being here on the ground um speaking with with the people who are doing the same type of business you know rubbing shoulders with with young entrepreneurs who are all trying to to do similar things talking every day hitting new ideas so um that was the biggest takeaway i got about moving away for for seven weeks so glad to be back though and i also just like uh, i think carl mentioned and gary mentioned just like how Taiwan is a little bit uh, Taipei was a little bit slower. It absolutely is. Yeah. Enjoy, yeah, it's that was getting to me because like <laughs> I, you know, I like I like I do like a slow paced life, but I feel like at at this point in my life, I can't afford to be going slow. Yeah, <laughs> like just since I've been back for two weeks, I feel like I've done so much shit in two weeks compared to like you know the six weeks that I was there, seven weeks that I was there, so. Just a faster pace here. It's just a pace, yeah. Like I mean, I was talking about. It's like when I get out of my apartment in the morning and I'm walking towards the office, you know, it was like a hundred people around me going towards their perspective, respective businesses or yeah, whatever. It's yeah. just like you just see that bustle. You hear the sounds of the city. You know, you come into the office, see people like settling in, and you know, you're looking around skyscrapers, all the shit, and it's like it just it creates this vibe where you wanna yeah yeah you wanna hustle. That's exactly it. It has a vibe of, of like. Yeah. getting shit done yeah. Taiwan doesn't have that vibe as even recently with the Canton Fair it's like all these <clears throat> events happening and you know people going to this place people going to that place and a certain aspect is like I want to go to those places but I can't afford to take the time to do that right so then that also pushes me to like hustle more yeah yeah you know whereas I think if I was in a slower spot it might just be very relaxed and just like uh, yeah there's just there was too many activities to do yeah. uh, I mean it's that's what it's a great place. It's a, it was an awesome country, um, but it's to me, it's like a great place to go visit mm-hmm. or retire. <laughs> but if you're trying to start a business or trying to work hard, it's not exactly the best place to be. What um, what what do you think was the hardest thing for you adjusting to life in China? Like what do you, what do you think was the one thing that you just when you got over that you were able to kind of settle it? Uh, I mean, I think cultural. Culturally, mm-hmm. uh, those differences were the most aggravating. Like I've, I've traveled, I've traveled to a lot of different places in the world, and so like I, I don't really get culture shock, but uh, I, getting used to the way that people behave here took some time, and just accepting that that that's how the Chinese are. And it's not like I was getting mad at like people, like taking it personally, certain things like pushing on the subway or or you know just like. The, the cold stairs and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but then I, I just, I learned to accept it. It's just like, this is how they're raised. Like they don't, 
they don't think that they're being rude or being a dick. It's just like, that's, you know, they don't know yeah. it's just how we, we perceive it from our culture that it's rude. So accepting that and getting over that, uh, was, was big. Um, the next thing that has been the most annoying is that just the, the air, the air quality mm. pollution sucks. So the winter, uh, well, there was like three weeks. I remember where you couldn't see the sky and that was pretty sad, <laughs> but the summer was actually pretty nice. Like I enjoyed the summer, summer was summer was solid. Yeah. Was solid. Yeah. It was interesting. Like it was some days where it was really, I was like, Oh, this is a very blue sky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The summer, I swear we had like several weeks in a row where there was the pollution wasn't bad at all. Mm-hmm. I was like actually enjoying living here. It's cool. I mean, they're trying to they're trying to make changes with it. I think I heard like in Beijing they're developing <clears throat> I don't know what what it was called, but some sort of I don't know vacuum that could clear up. I heard the about air. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that would like, be awesome. That's real. They're testing it out in Beijing, and then they want to roll it out to the bigger cities. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I think for me, it was maybe not the cultural stuff. I think it was more just like. Once, once I was able to create a like comfortable system around me, mm. which, which, what I mean by that is like, like eating food, like finding the right places to eat food, uh, you know, getting a nicer apartment, like things like that, and then just having like my friends, the and, routine, yeah, the routine, yeah. That's when that's when I was able to kind of get comfortable here. So I mean, that was probably just about a year after I was here. Like, yeah. Because I, I went through phases. There's a there's a Wikipedia there's a Wikipedia article. I don't think that's the main. I don't think that's where it's from. But it was just basically like the five or four stages of culture shock. Mm. And I don't remember. I don't remember all the stages. But it was like the first one is like like euphoria, like you're just excited to be there. And the yep. second one is like um, the second one is like you start to get homesick or something like that. And then the third one was like frustration because you're fighting resentment because you're resisting the culture that you're in. And then the fourth one was like acceptance when you start, when you let go of the resistance and you accept yourself. And then the fifth one is like assimilation. Okay. I think I've, I think I've heard about that. Yeah. Well, I studied abroad. I read something like, like that. Exactly. I think right now I'm in the acceptance stage. Yeah. Assimilation would require me to learn how to speak Mandarin fluently. Right. Right. Down the road, it's down the road. Yeah. How do you feel about, you know, you're in China and like, how do you feel about not being able to speak the language fluently at this stage? I mean, it's fun. <laughs> I, it's like some things are frustrating, of course, but uh, I mean, it depends on every person. But for me, like, I've, I'm trying to actively learn the language. When I was in Taiwan, I did I did a four week intensive course, and before that, I was doing just like self study. Um, so. I mean, I can do basic things. I can take a taxi. I can order food. Those things are fine. Um, yesterday, I was sitting on a bench and was talking to a, a Chinese guy. Although it was like broken Chinese and having having issues, it was still that type of stuff is very gratifying for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's for me right now frustrating, but also really fun. I guess is the best way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool when you're able to understand and connect with somebody that's just completely you know this dude has lived a completely different life from you yeah. right? and so, yeah. you know, you're speaking to them in their language and then you're able to 
to communicate. I remember it's like I'll get I'll get hyped when I was in a taxi and <laughs> taxi driver asked me where I'm from and we ask him where he's from. Are you married? Where? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kind of ask about their story and they're they're just blown yeah. away because oh, they're yeah. like, how does this foreigner know? He's like Chinese. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, do you like Chinese women? I'm like, yeah, they're beautiful. He's like, yeah, I know. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like I, for me, I want to learn and I know I can learn. Like whenever I put my mind to it, it's just time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just taking the yeah, time priorities right yeah. now. Um, yeah. I, I, for kind of what you're saying, as far as time goes, um, I try to use like space in between things where I can't do anything. Like being on the subway and stuff, I'll just like use the apps, um, like to, to practice okay. different words and stuff. Just basically anytime I have free time where I can't do anything else, I'll, you know, the, what's the, what's the book? Uh, the slight edge. Slight edge yeah. yeah. Just doing a little bit every day. It's like, you know, might not, you, you might not think you're making progress, but even 10 minutes, if you're doing it every single day, mm-hmm. it actually, it does add up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I know. I just, I agree a hundred percent. Like, and I was trying to do it before, yeah, maybe I was a little bit too aggressive, but I was doing like an hour out of my day. Yeah. And at some stage, I was like, I can't spend an hour doing this. There's so much other shit that I have to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, it's just like that that habit and then maybe the discipline of it. Like I need I need like a Chinese teacher to come in. Yeah, that's huge. You know, with my ass into shape, you know. Like it, it's not like going to the gym is different because like I, maybe the first two, three months is like, you're getting back into the habit and you're maybe not seeing that many results, but um, I think it's actually quicker to see those results like in six months or four months. Right, or right. Results. And then from there, it's just like you like it and it's a habit mm-hmm. and it, you feel good. Your body literally releases endorphins right. every time you do it. Right? Yeah. 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 I think for Chinese, you definitely, like if you want to become fluent or or conversational, you have to have a tutor. Yeah. You have to have a tutor. You got to have somebody or, I mean, a Chinese girlfriend or something. You got to have somebody that you're talking to every single day. I don't agree with the Chinese girlfriend thing unless she doesn't speak English because she's going to want to practice English. Yeah. But that's to me, that's, so I'll give you my, my example is my girlfriend's Korean, but she speaks Chinese and her, her English isn't that good. Yeah. So we speak a broken mix of Chinese and, and English, yeah. uh, which like I've learned a ton just from her. And then I don't know, just when you're hearing her say stuff all the time in Chinese and she's on the phone to like with her boss or employees speaking Chinese, being around all the time, like you definitely pick up more than you would mm-hmm. otherwise. That's what I've noticed. Yeah. I mean, like I said, if, if she doesn't speak English, then yeah. Yeah. If your girlfriend speaks perfect English, then you're just going to resort to that. Because they, they just want to practice English, man. Like yeah. it's, that's what it comes down to. Oh, I want to practice my English. Why would I speak in <laughs> Chinese? It's like, you know, okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, same thing for me with just being, I'm like engrossed in China life, whatever. Like every day my, my employees are Chinese. Yeah, yeah. I'm in an office with a bunch of other Chinese people and just hearing it on a daily basis, yeah. like, picking up words like there's words that i hear consistently and then what was a word recently that i learned i was like i heard it a shit ton yeah and i was like what is this word man and then i figured it out just from like hearing it a lot and then the context yeah and then i just asked my friend does this word mean this and they're like yeah and i was like oh, uh, yeah that's how you learn man. that's <laughs> like, it <laughs> so i mean that's a big part of it as well it's like if you have to, not just studying it but then in, maybe engrossing yourself right into, right into the culture Being around it every day What's your favorite thing about China first year? 
<laughs> uh, favorite thing is I don't know how how good of an answer this is gonna be, but uh, I like how there's not no rules, but there's less rules. Zero fucks given. I like I I'm, I like the chaotic atmosphere. Yeah, and like I fucking love the, it. As well. The thing that there's it's not that there's no regulations, but everything is so. It's it's the weirdest like contradiction because it seems like there would be so many regulations and so strict, but at the same time, no one gives a shit about anything. It's too um, many people, man. Yeah, so like it's too I, many people to manage. I'll give you an example. We went to Taiwan, and there will be a, a crosswalk with no cars coming, mm-hmm. and people, no matter what, will wait for that light to turn green. Mm-hmm. And uh, so seeing that contrast, I was like, holy shit! I was like, this is driving me nuts. Because being in China, you can you can run across the freeway and nobody gives a fuck. Whenever you want to. Like, I remember the other day, I was riding on the back of a motorcycle to get to some place. And uh, there's just, like, there's car, there's scooters going the wrong way on the street. And, like, I was looking around and I was like, wow, I kind of love this. Like, yeah. this is a different. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, no rules. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You can, you can be the person that you want to be, like... You can literally build anything you want here. Like you have you have so many resources at your disposal. That to me is kind of like the most exciting, my favorite thing. Yeah, right. Just going off of that, like I remember the same guy Keenan. One of the things that he he said to me that you just reminded me of was like you can be anybody you want to be when you get to China. Yeah. Like forget all the the stuff that like I mean a lot of a lot of dudes who come here maybe have. You know, been working for five, six, seven years, and you know they've developed this idea of who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. It's like you can leave all that behind once you get to China and like start yeah. afresh. You know, um, you know you might be making the same amount of money teaching as you were in your old job, but working half the hours, and then you know the stuff. cost of living is like half of what. It was. Yeah, so yeah. now Now you're in like the ten percent of people in China yeah. making that amount a lot of money. Of teachers you know? are balling out. Balling out, man. People, you know. Um, so it's just like things like that, and then, yeah, the the chaotic nature, man. Zero fucks given in China, man. Yeah. Like, and I I love it as well, and I, I talk about that as it's like, just uh, it's a really simple example is like, in Canada, there's a LCBO in Ontario. There's a LCBO, which is a Liquor Control Board of Ontario, mm-hmm. and if you want to buy booze you have to go to there to buy booze like they don't sell booze in in convenience stores and stuff like oh that. like a liquor it's a, like oh, a liquor store but it's it's owned by the my state was like that. it's yeah. owned by the province yeah, right? yeah. um so like and then they obviously they own it that's the only place where they you can sell that mm-hmm. there's a couple other places where they sell wine like specific wine stores yeah. but you can't just go into a convenience store 7-eleven and buy booze right yeah and they close usually between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m., you know. So it's like if you're, the rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you're hosting a party, for example, yeah. you go buy booze at 7 and then your party starts at 9, 10, whatever, 12 o'clock in the morning, you run out of alcohol. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. You're, you're fucked. You just go home, like, or you, you know, hope that people brought booze or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's just it's things like that. And it's, it's a very simple example, but like in China, it's like I could buy booze whatever fucking time i want to buy mm-hmm. 
literally just go to the convenience store downstairs Wine, and vodka whiskey whatever yeah, yeah. it might be fake I mean, but you know, probably is <laughs> probably is yeah you might you drink get, it on the street if you want no you drink gonna, it on the street no one's no gonna, gonna say gonna anything shit. you know you get arrested in, in Canada for drinking on the streets yep. but it's just like yeah those kind of things those are the first especially when you're younger and you arrive it's like oh wait I can just drink on the streets no one's gonna say anything yeah it's like I don't have to put this into like a plastic bag or a fake Coca-Cola yeah, bottle it's like total freedom man yeah, and then like you're talking about crossing the streets, um, you know, like dudes. This is something that I think shocks people when they first get into to China. Is like when it's in the summer, you see these dudes on the subway who just kind of like lift up their shirts and let their bell- bellies <laughs> hang out. <Yeah. laughs> oh my god! I I respect those guys, man. I think it's hilarious. I respect those guys. I'm like, man, I wish. Patting their bellies. <laughs> sure he was just hanging out, and he gives no fucks. He's yeah. like, I don't care. And, and yeah, that that breeds like a certain mentality in your mind as well to kind of push your dreams forward and your business ideas forward. Yeah, without thinking too mm-hmm. much about what yeah. people think about you or you know outside influences. Yeah, I think that just comes down to there's just too many people for the government to manage. So, I mean, they they focus on the rules that are imported to them, which is controlling information yeah and then everything else is like yeah you figure it out you yeah know? i think that's pretty accurate yeah have you where else have you traveled besides Guangzhou? uh so when i first got here uh like after three weeks i went to vietnam for mm-hmm. 10 days and traveled all around vietnam with a buddy from back home and then i went to the philippines over chinese new year and then I I mean frequently go back and forth to Hong Kong obviously uh, visa runs and mm-hmm. Hong Kong is just a good time maybe uh, a little too expensive at times but it's still a good time nonetheless I gotta go to Hong Kong next week anyways yeah and then um, what else and then Taiwan in April that was kind of what made me decide I wanted to go live there I was also frustrated with Guangzhou at the time but um, yeah those are next year I want to go to Korea and Japan like for sure. Mm-hmm. So just trying to make some money so I can do that. What's what's the plan with uh, trying to make money? Uh, so I have an e-commerce store, uh, e-commerce business. I have a store online that I sell jewelry to the U.S. Um, I advertise with Facebook. So I'm currently still just testing new products and learning as much as I can. I started only five months ago. Um, I feel like even if I wasn't making any money off this, just the amount of information I've learned through like trial and error is, is invaluable. So um, I'm going to just try to keep developing this and eventually get into um, custom products. Or I'm also interested in FBA because it's a little bit more passive. I don't have to be monitoring Facebook ads, but uh, mm-hmm. learning how to use Facebook ads has been really useful. So I'm going to keep doing that for now. FBA is fucking gold rush. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? It's interesting because I guess when you first got here, you didn't want to do physical products at all, right? Yeah. That's so, so what China does, man. They just kind of, well, it gets to you. What happened <laughs> is like, I was talking to Carl about this, is I didn't, I didn't have like all the pieces put together. Like to me, it was, it was a, it was a puzzle that I didn't know how to solve. Like physical product business sounded just so complex and I didn't understand how all the parts worked. Mm-hmm. And the more I was here, uh, more, I learned and spoke to people and then, you know, more blogs and stuff I was reading, I kind of put it all together. And that's when I realized that I could, I could do my own store and drop ship products from China. And uh, the more I've been doing this, I'm like, okay, 
I could, I know how to go to a factory and ask them to do a mock-up of a sample. Like it kind of, you kind of start to see how everything works and how all the pieces move together mm-hmm. to, to make something successful or to make it work. I don't know if it'll be successful or not, but, um, yeah. And it's very intriguing because there's a lot of creativity that you need to do. You, you're basically, you get, you get all the, all the aspects of starting a business from scratch. So that's, what's appealing to me about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, just going off of that is like, even with, uh, well, I, well, I was talking to you guys when we did our like mastermind yesterday, it's like when I, I have a lot of FBA customers and it's, they're learning that Amazon is to be competitive. Now they have to come up with original products. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you guys were starting off from the marketing side and not caring about the products, but then you're also learning, you have to come up with yeah, original products. Yeah. That's, it's, it's weird how everything comes from coming down to man. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants cheap, cheap shit. It's too, it's just the competition, man. Just the way Amazon opened it up, like with FBA, it's created this thing where you know it's a beast. There's listings there that you, I remember. Chris Davy was talking about this at uh, our Canton Fair meetup. He was talking about a specific product that had like five listings when he joined it, mm-hmm. and now it's got like two hundred thousand or something. Oh, that shit. it's like within the space of months. Damn. Right, it's like when people see a certain niche open up, uh, yeah, it's fucking it's, over, man. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. So you, you want to get in there it's early. Game. Yeah, and then the thing as well is like Amazon is teaching, like they literally have seminars where they teach uh, Chinese manufacturers how to sell on Amazon. Yeah. You know? That's the scary part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, he was man, one knowledge bomb that he dropped. It's completely random but i thought it was very interesting um he was talking about how you know how the chinese sellers are doing on, on amazon and he was like something that they do which is very indicative i think of chinese culture and this is why china has developed so quickly mm. is they'll um so you have like your inventory in the in the warehouse in amazon yeah what they'll do is they'll send let's say they have they they make five thousand units they'll have uh four thousand in china in a warehouse and then they'll have like a thousand in the Amazon warehouse, or they'll have four thousand in in a U.S. warehouse, separate yeah. from separate from Amazon. And then every day, let's say they sell fifty units or twenty five units, with every day they'll literally check the listing, see how much they sold, and then ship that exact amount to the Amazon warehouse. Mm-hmm. So now the advantage of that is one, they never overstock. Yeah. Two, if something happens with their listing where they get a complaint or you know there's some product quality issue they can they can pull the listing off of amazon without like having 5000 units being stuck in the fba uh, warehouse because a lot of times when when your product is stuck in amazon there's nothing you can do about right. it so they have that separate so they're they're um they're protecting themselves and then they can if they have the stuff in China, they can actually just return it to their supplier and like fix that issue before, mm. before you know they can nip it in the bud and fix it before you know anything crazy happens. Right, right. Which I thought was like fucking, yeah, you yeah. Know, and, but it obviously work. it takes work. You know, it takes you having somebody there checking your listing every day, making sure that they're shipping out the right amount of units and monitoring. Yeah, that. you gotta have somebody on that on top of that. But like I said, that's that to me is it. That's like summarizing the way Chinese people approach business in like a nutshell is just like that like working your ass off figuring out ways to like hack the system yeah and then like I mean no one else is spending that much time yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so 
Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, and I'm interested to see what's going to happen with with FBA in the future. I think it's a little frightening because, like, I can't remember who was talking about this, but since since all the manufacturers all the manufacturers are going straight to Amazon um, and undercutting basically everyone else, uh, branding becomes like super important. Yep, and you know if some way to to differentiate yourself. Is, is really the only way that, that you can stand the chance, like whether it's custom packaging or, you know, an awesome logo or whatever. Uh, but I think that's, if you're just selling like a generic thing right now mm-hmm. that you, that you source from China and you're, you know, you're jacking up the price and selling on Amazon, that's not going to last. I don't yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the one advantage that Westerners have is that, it's cultural. We understand the market. It's the market, the yeah, culture. Yeah. That's something that that's something that they can't, like a Chinese manufacturer can't learn in a year. It's going to take them maybe decades to they learn. They don't even know how to market yeah. Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're incorporating the language barrier and then you're incorporating the marketing tactics. It's going to be a long time before they actually completely dominate that. I would say what's interesting now is a lot of uh, Western marketing services are trying to tailor their services to the Chinese manufacturers. Yeah. So I think what might happen is like you have more services from the West being provided to the East and then uh, the Chinese manufacturers are selling the products directly to their consumers. Mm. You know, I think that's most likely what's going to happen. But then there will always be like brands that just dominate, you know, right, right. Getting right now. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely trending in that direction. I mean, you have suppliers putting up Kickstarter campaigns. Like, yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's inevitable now. Yeah, it's gonna take time for that trust to build, though. Too. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, Western Western shoppers, I don't think are super trustworthy of Chinese goods. Yeah, as it yeah. is. So. That's where the Western services come in. That's where the Western services come in. And there's way again, there's ways around that, right? So for example, with uh with like the like the big brands like Gucci and, and Fendi and whatever, all these mm. Italian brands, they say that their stuff is made in Italy, right? It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like in order for a shoe to I don't remember what the exact percentage is. I, I talked about it with this guy Ryan Flynn, I think it was episode twenty nine, he broke it down. He's like in order for a shoe to be considered genuine leather or like made in Italy, mm. um, you it's like it has to just be like ten percent of the shoe. Which oh, could be shit. like Nothing. could be the sole, it could be <laughs> it could yeah, be just yeah. like, you know, the it could be like the laces, the, or, laces or whatever yeah. and then that could be just done in Italy when they receive the shoes, and then they can just say made in Italy. Oh, you know, I so, did not know that. Yeah, same thing with Swiss-made watches. Same thing, and there's different categories. So there's like made in Switzerland, the Swiss-made ah, things okay. like that. And um, you know, the, I was talking to this guy Patrick. He used to he's from Switzerland, and uh, he used to sell watches. He's like, yeah, if it's Swiss-made, all you have to do is like add the fucking dial in Switzerland mm. and then you put Swiss made and it's done but everything else was done in China the materials in China sense. like the movement they just have really good quality yeah. control yeah. you know yeah. they've been doing it forever they've been doing it forever yeah, so it's like there's just certain things that you have to do so like I think that's probably what could happen in the future is like if you want the product to say made in America made in the US made in Canada made in, in the UK it would just be you like, like one aspect of one it. aspect of it yeah you know that's big though that's a big selling point you know that's what makes people trust yeah a brand over others. Yeah, I mean, 
people could start doing that right now. I have a I have a client at the moment who's shipping to Amazon, and he's going to add something into his into his product in the U.S. Ah, so that he can say you know Smart. U.S. made. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? You might have missed. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't have anything on my mind. All right, it's been a, it's been a busy, busy two weeks since we, we returned. So it's good. Feels good to be back and working hard. Back in going, Joe. Yeah, back hustling. By the way, it's Saturday. You know, we're working in the office. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Back on the grind. All right, guys. Uh, it's another episode of the Made in China podcast. Almost forgot the name of the podcast. <laughs> if you wanna, if you wanna reach out to me, you can reach out to me at info at sourcefindasia.com. Um, of course, if you wanna listen to the, the if you wanna read the show notes and like all the stuff that we talked about in the podcast, go to sourcefindasia.com slash Made in China. Deuces. <laughs> <laughs>